Facts. Uh, how are you guys doing? This video is actually sponsored by Upside. We're just going to kick it off just like that. I have Willie here. He's from uh, he's from an island that used to be full of, uh, actually still full of just this convicts. He's from an island that literally is, is inhabited and in, in still, honestly, is, is all convicts. But we're savages. It's good. <laughs> I don't know. You're throwing at me. I was, I was, I was like, I was waiting uh, for something else. I was no, like, that was oh. it. That I was, was, waiting, that I was, was it. it was like dig, dig, dig. And no. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. No, that was it. I was just gonna stop there because I was trying to think of it. Last night you told me it was like two percent Aborigine or whatever. Yeah, yeah two percent okay. Indigenous. Okay, whatever. It doesn't really matter. So ninety-eight percent of his country is literally full of convicts. Um, he's from Australia. As you guys cannot tell. He looks mediocre at best, and he is sitting here next to me. He's a. Uh, He's on his final uh, leg of life as well. He's got a terminal brain tumor. Can- or t- <laughs> <laughs> I might yeah, have one as well, I guess. Sure? He's, he's got a uh, terminal brain cancer. He's got a big giant tumor inside of his head. He doesn't know when he's going to die, so he's coming out to hang out with us, which probably may not be your, your best choice in life. What, what do you mean? Let's try it. It's good treatment. <laughs> anyway, this is Willie. He's got a uh, he's got a good sense of humor. He was military as well in the Australian Army, so him and I are going to probably get along with uh, our kind of like darker sense of humor, which you guys never really get to see. As I basically just just tell you guys what's going on, but we're going to change things up a bit. I'm going to see if you guys actually enjoy him being around, and if he does, if you guys do enjoy being around, maybe we'll keep him around for a little bit longer. I don't know. It's kind of like a little, little test run. We're going to sprinkle a little bit of Willie on top of them. We have no real agenda for any of these videos. We got some talking points we're going to go through and whatnot, but for the most part, we're just going to kind of roll with it. He, he spent, how long did you spend in Ukraine? Uh, six months, all up. Six months. So it was before and after. Oh, by the way, for everybody who was complaining, the little spinny thing, I, I guess I moved it for all you guys who were complaining. It's right there now. Look, it's spinning nice and slow. I figured out how to turn it down. It's also doesn't have the light on. So now we get to look at General Patton's signature next to my gold-plated Tommy gun, just so everybody... In the comments, I know that was bothering a lot of you guys. So we're going to roll with it. Um, really just kind of wild. We're going to keep this thing like uncensored on other on other platforms. But here we're going to have to. And I know you and I have the same kind of. People probably don't really realize this, but I do curse quite a. I, I don't like to say quite a bit, but I, I, I curse normal for uh, an infantry guy, I guess you'd say. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? but normal for infantry is normal, horrific. It, it's horrific. But yeah. what I, for, for my podcast, I, I really have cleaned it up a lot. I try to. I tried to at least, but I with try you, and clean it up for American no, no. audiences too, because <laughs> Americans don't like the Australian's most famous word. Well, well yeah, I know, I know, it's always the sea. It doesn't really bother me. Uh, but we're going to talk about some random stuff. He was he was in Ukraine before the, the thing kicked off, like five weeks prior, right? Before mm, yeah, about that, about five yeah. weeks. Okay, so he was there for five weeks prior. And then he was through the invasion. I actually sent Charles over there, and they kind of like tag teamed and did some stuff. I don't know what they really did, but now he's sitting here in America with me, and we have no plan whatsoever. Will you, t- will you just give us a little bit of background on you, so anybody who doesn't know who Willie is? Yeah. Well, what do you mean? This this is who Willie is. Yeah, I know who Willie I'm is. Not, I'm not just some homeless guy off the street, but <laughs> uh, I might look like that, but I'm not. No, I um. So I grew up in like a small country town uh, in Victoria, was like the bottom of Australia, and then I joined the military. And like a lot of people, joining the military is like a way out of your country town. I reckon that's like 95 percent of dudes who join the army is just a way out of their whole country town. So that was me, and then I moved across into South Australia, deployed to Afghanistan, and then I got the brain tumour, was medically separated then from the Defence Force, uh, and was sort of lost in what to do. So I booked a ticket, a one-way ticket to Ukraine in late January, early Feb uh, 22, and went there and hung out, and then the invasion, everything happened. And I was there filming, like I was there to film, because in Australia I thought there, you know, there might be an invasion happen. And then... When I got there, the people around me and whatever convinced me that it wasn't going to happen because, like, why would it? It happened in 2014 and it just sort of, that potential risk has just been there the whole time. Why would why would it lift up so much? And then, yeah, it, it ended up on the 24th in full-scale invasion. It was um, crazy for a couple of weeks following that. The guy that we used to talk to here on this thing, he, he was very adamant that it was not going to happen. There was absolutely no way... My even my financial advisor was asking me, "Do you think that?" Which was weird. He's like, "Hey, do you think?" Uh, this was like in January. He's like, "Hey, do you think um, Ukraine's going to invade?" I'm like, "No." Everyone's telling me it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, they got. Well, as we all know, what what did happen? And and you know what's kind of funny? Your views on Ukraine is going to be much different than say mine or some of the people that actually, I guess, watch this thing. I haven't. I've never actually been inside of Ukraine. So I know we were talking last night a little bit about certain areas of Ukraine, which is different. I don't. I don't really care what you say. I don't care. I, it's a, this is an open, open platform, so don't hold back. 
So we're gonna, we're gonna bebop around some stuff today. We were we we, said, we did see that uh, the Polish okay the Polish are quote unquote sending leopards to Ukraine. Hmm. I'm gonna say quote unquote because that's actually I think that's a, a mis misconception. Miscom- that's step, a title. It's a headline. It's a headline. So everybody I keep seeing inside the we're gonna call the Ukrainian Osnik com- community is all like getting excited about these Polish leopards. I get, well, we say Polish leopards. They're actually not Polish. They're um, they're German leopards that are sent to Pol- or Poland. Anyway, you guys know what I mean. They're not actually Polish, but they are Polish. They're not really going into Ukraine. So you, this is a direct quote, by the way, from Duda. They said they've taken decisive uh, or a decision, I guess, to actually contribute a first package of like tanks. And the, you know how many tanks it is? It's like a company's worth of tanks. And they really know that's it's really not that many. It's only 14. And they're not actually going to Ukraine. They're going to the border. So they're not actually physically going in. And they're only going to be offered to Ukraine if other countries actually go through with the package. He's the one that actually brought this up. Because if you guys just read all the headlines, it, it would you would think right now, the Ukraine's about to absolutely get loaded down with some big old tanks that are almost comp- um, kind of like an M1. Depends on which one you uh, get. Smaller. It, it depends. Like the Leopard tanks. Like I, I you know, did the anti-armor stuff in Australia. So, you know, the 84 Kalgul stuff. So she actually said do a full package of like armored fighting vehicles. And I can't, I can't say that I'm up that relevant with that. Like I, it was in 2016. So I'm at least six years out of, you know, the most modern stuff. But the Leopard, like, 2A, and I think they're at, like, 2A7 now. is like, the most, like, recent uh, iteration of it. That is comparable to any main battle tank in the world. Like, the Abrams is an outlier. You know, the Abrams is a big, heavy, well-protected tank with a lot of, like, battlefield history. That is a great tank. And a lot of these other tanks, we haven't had the same sort of... It's not as famous as, as the Abrams. But the capability of that in some circles would say it is a better tank. And I, I I would go as far as saying, and I'm no tank expert at all, it's probably a better suited tank to the environment in Ukraine. Because it's lighter? Lighter. Well, then in turn just means it's way better on fuel mm. and the supply issues of fuel is massive in a war zone. And it's it gets a lot of other countries out of their hair. So Leopard tanks are, are fantastic tanks. Apparently this is also going to be a thing. I know a little bit about Strikers. And that's going to be one of the, the next thing that they're thinking about throwing out next week. And strikers are, I don't want to put the strikers. Strikers are not super up armored. I don't know if you've seen a striker. It's an infantry were, fighting vehicle. That's all it is. Like, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not anything like a tank. It's, not, it's, it's like a weaker version of a Bradley. Yeah. It has only a, a 50 cal on it. It doesn't have anything really else. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? It, it holds a, sh- a ton more guys. It's not tracked. It's wheeled. It's got like, I think, eight wheels. Very similar. We had anyone who's Australian, we had Aslavs, LAVs. Very, it's a very similar-ish sort of Is vehicle. It? Yeah, you know, eight, it's an eight-wheeled vehicle. Some of them, some can sit like manned section of infantry in the back. A manned section? Well, sorry, like a section of manned infantry. What 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 is a section? Eight eight men. So a squad. Squad. Squad yeah. size element. Yeah, that's what we, we call them. Well, I guess we have, we have well sections, a sniper section, but yeah, squad size. Element. That's yeah. the exact same thing, man. Yeah, the Canadians have one right now. No, that's actually what the Ukrainians do have currently. They have like forty of them. That's it. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is, they're, they're, they're thinking about giving the Ukrainians these right now just because, or for this next aid package, I guess, here in America, because everybody's worried, which we were discussing this last night, the spring offensive. That's literally the only thing that people are thinking about right now. We have the Russians who have had, what, two-ish months now to kind of re- regroup. I, where, you know what? Let's actually go to that. Let's go to that. Let's go down well, that realm. Let's go down well, that realm. the realm right of offensive. Yes. Let's I, go down that realm. Personally. I think the days of us seeing massive offensive breakthroughs on both sides are done. That's me. I, I think at the moment, because Russia has sort of sorted their life out a little bit. Like in the beginning, they took a lot just by sheer volume and, and I guess an element of surprise as far as like, yeah, people were tracking the 24th of Feb, but it just happened. Like it was an element of surprise and they just pushed through. And then we saw these massively successful thunder runs uh, in Kharkiv area from the Ukrainians at least for what I'm sort of seeing, is we're just going to see slow grinds both both ways. I don't think we're going to see an offensive take 50 kilometres in a day anymore. I think with both sides, you know, digging in, the winter element, how that's... Because it slowed things, It's mean it means you can dig in a more defensible position on both sides. Will we see a massive push through somewhere? I don't know. And Ukraine's not getting enough vehicles to do an offensive like that. Like we're talking, you know, 40 Bradleys. That's not. It's 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 a drop in the ocean, really. If you look at the capability of like, you know, and I'm I'm from Australia, and I'm not impressed by forty vehicles, and the Australian military compared to the US is minute. Yeah. 
And it's like, well, you know, what are you really going to do? And the spring offensive, I don't know, you may go on the front foot because in many areas that currently Ukraine is on the defensive, you know, Bakhmut, Solodar, they're defending from Russian attacks and an and offensive. But we're seeing metres, hundreds of metres a day, and now they're in the, the streets of those places. Yeah, by the way, Solodar is not taken. No, not I, at all. That's another thing keeps I keep seeing across all social media right now. As you see, the Russian outlets posting the normal kind of stuff that they always do, that they've taken it. And then they have... I guess, do, we, do we have any footage from the salt mine or no? I think um, did the Wagner did the Wagner commander come to the salt mine today? Is that allegedly, what it was? yeah, he allegedly. Was, he was in there. I, don't, I don't. There's a lot of people pulling up stuff and like it's not this. I don't think that. it is. I, it I could be. It could be. I don't know if it is though, because I mean, right now I know the backside of the city is still wide open. They they tried to do last night, as you were doing. Actually, probably when you were on your flight over here, because I think the time difference would be about that. When you were on your flight over here, the Wagners attempted to move through the northwestern side of that city at night, and it didn't pan out too well, clearly. They didn't take it through. So right now, you're still looking at the backside of the city. still has a funnel like this. So yeah. it's like, it's a, there's, a, there's a significant kill zone directly in the center, like, you know, where it all funnels down into, which I'm not really entirely sure what the Ukrainians could even do to get any of that area back. I have, I yeah. really don't know. Well, that, that's the thing is, it's it's important to put out that Russia doesn't control Solidar, but neither does Ukraine. Neither does like, Ukraine. Like, pe- no. pe- just because it, no, it's it's uncontrolled situation. Yeah. It could tip the scales either way at the moment. And like, I have no, no one controls me, me personally. I don't even understand. I don't. I personally don't have. I have no clue how Ukraine could even get it back because both sides of Solidar, like if you look at it like this, would be like. Two hilltops, kind of like this, and the valley would be Solar itself. Mm. And then it peels off kind of like this, and the backside, there's a hill. I have absolutely no way. The only way I could see them possibly doing it is pounding either side of the hilltop with artillery and then pushing through. Mm. But I have no idea if they had the capabilities to do so, to do that. I don't know. Or even the men down but there it, to even do it. But it may not be taking Solidar itself. It may be pushing in somewhere else to try and get them to pull out of Solidar. Yeah, it, it it may be more that they won't specifically roll into there to take it back if they would have choose to do that or, or have the capability. You could push on the you know the north and south edge of it and you could cut off the supply line, meaning the Russians have to fall back and clear it from the back. Like we've we've seen that again and again where you can you cut something off rather than it actually falling. And that's in my opinion, and this is you know just my amateur opinion, that's what Russia's trying to do to places like Seversk up in the north of Solidar. Is if they can cut off Solidar, cut off Bakhmut and really sort of drain Seversk of its supply lines to a degree, you don't actually need to physically roll guys in there, you know, shooting other dudes, that there'll be a tactical withdrawal back. And we've, we've seen that on both sides again and again. You know, the place will get too deep and you'll tactically, tactically withdraw back. And that's the best way to, to do something like that. Because otherwise you're clearing absolutely every town, every, every one of the blocks. It's insane. So if you guys do not know this about me, I actually do love fishing, but however, it can get extremely, extremely expensive. So especially with the price hikes lately, that's why I have to tell you guys about my new favorite way to save, and that's Upside. Upside is an incredible app for everybody and anybody who buys gas, groceries, and or dines out. With Upside, I can get cash back on every single purchase that I can use to fund my my fishing habit, my hobby, anything you guys love to do. It's basically cashback for just doing you. And all you got to do to get started is download the free upside app right now. Use my promo code STT podcast and get an extra 25 cents back for every single gallon on your first tank of gas. Yes. All you have to do is claim this offer wherever you guys are buying anything. Just use upside and then pay as usual with a credit or debit card. Follow the steps inside the app and you guys get paid in comparison to credit card rewards and or loyalty programs. You guys can earn three times more cash back with upside plus upside does not sell your personal information to third parties does not sell that stuff so this is a good thing they also know that your information is a vital part of their trusted relationship with you upside users are earning hundreds of dollars every single year that's probably why they have a 4.8 rating with the app store all you got to do right now is go to the top description click the link and download the free upside app and use promo code stt podcast to get an extra 25 cents back for every single gallon on your first tank of gas do yourself a favor roll up to that that gas pump with an empty tank and take advantage of this 
So the thing that I've been telling every single person that's been watching or listening to this this podcast, you say, is Bakhmut's almost useless in the sense that the amount of men that Russia is throwing at it is not really worth what they're getting out of it. I guess you'd say the amount of. I mean, you got to think about it. In the last in the last month, they've. They, I mean, we're talking like seriously, like twenty thousand men. That's a real number. That's a real number coming out. Like twenty thousand men. But we were talking earlier, and your mindset is they don't care about men in, inside the Western military eyes. That is that's not acceptable. Yeah, but the, the this trish, is this is, is the not problem acceptable. of of guys guys like you and I is because we've had experience in the Western militaries where our view is skewed on how this works. Look at the history of the Russian military. Yeah, the Red fodder. Army. Yeah, cannon fodder. I no, get they, they don't care about the numbers. And and when and, and I was saying to to yourself earlier, just because we see something as an unsuccessful operation because of the losses, did the end goal get achieved? It, forget the losses. That's a good Was point, the yeah. end goal achieved? And at the end of the day, if, if we, in Australia, the, the Americans wanted to take back, and we'd lost 10, 20,000 guys, no matter the outcome of, even if we took it, we would go, that wasn't worth it. Now, the average Russian infantryman, they would be like, this is not worth it. But the commanders don't care. And they'll just keep pumping numbers until they do that. Look, look how Russia, uh, the Red Army with Berlin. You know, we'll just send waves of guys. Never enough gun. Go for it. Did the end goal get achieved? Yes. Will you, Russia take back Mud? I'm, I'm unsure. It's looking like most they, likely they, they will, will in the next yeah. couple of months. And just because we see a failure of an operation doesn't mean it was a, a failure by or by their standard and the standard of losing guys. They don't care. And that, that is something that we have that skewed view on because we put a lot of a lot of um, like sort of a lot of value on Western soldiers' lives. It's because so as we should, they're our mates. Well, yeah, it's very expensive to train yeah, one and, person. Yeah, and and we care about one another, yeah. and our commanders to a degree care about us too. Well, they care about achieving the goal and getting an OER bullet. That's all the commanders yeah. really care about. But well, in the uh, end, yeah. they have to have, has to be an acceptable casualty rate. Well, and this is something you even see between the American military and the Australian, because we do a lot of work with the American military in Australia. There's more frontline combat troops or Americans in Australia than Australians. Like the Marines up north in Amer- in Australia, there's more troops. But these even a large, massive army like that, there seems to be more of an acceptable um, like loss. So every time we do, you know, just training exercises with the Americans, they can almost afford to have more num- lose more numbers. Where you're talking about a small army like like us, we have to we can't afford to lose guys because that's a massive loss to us. And then the Russians, where you're willing just to ring up a 18 year old male, cool, off the come on, off you go. Why would you care? Like if you're just commander who just wants that airfield or wants this. They're talk, talking about the Hostomo airfield. You said yeah. that, that, that in the way that you put it, I guess the initial way that they took Hostomo was correct in the sense of the, the operation actually would, would have been successful. The only problem is their execution was terrible afterwards. Yeah. In the sense, like seriously, it really yeah. was. If you think but, about it. But but was the goal was to not have an airfield in the capital city, to, to get rid of that airfield. And you, we might think, oh, we'll send in special forces and they'll rig up is there some explosives to blow on the airfield and this and that. That's not how that's not how they work with this. It's well, we'll just send in these cannon fodder guys, and we'll just obliterate the area that much that it can't be used again for six months. Yeah, there was paratroop planes, a paratroopers shot down, and hundreds of paratroopers die, and all this, and everything went after it. But people are looking too far into this and almost too deep. Did the airfield exist one day and then the next day be unusable? Yes. Was that a success by their standards? Seemingly, yes. Uh, it, it's a difficult situation. We need to stop like putting this Western view of like we care about the individual soldier, because obviously they don't. Which is which is which is sad. Because I know you you mentioned you hadn't been there yourself. I was uh, in Kharkiv really once. The first sort of Russians got pushed out, and just the amount of dead Russian guys. It's upsetting. Like I know people love to jump on and oh, these orcs and this and that and and. Like, it's easy to do that online. It is. And it's easy to sit back in Australia, America, or whatever, and, and comment that or think that. But when you're in somewhere like this and there's a 18, 17, 18, 19 year old guy just dead on the ground, chewed up by a machine gun, and it, people dying isn't, it's not like a movie where you get shot and you're on the ground. You get chewed up by a machine gun or, a, you know, artillery or armor. It's pretty messy. 
and these are bodies by the tens or hundreds. And I think people have more of a personal view on like, these are people. Like that's something we forget is it doesn't matter what side you're on in this. You can still have some empathy of like, you know, young people dying is shocking. Anyone dying is shocking, but you see this and it affects you. I mean, this young dude, he's, you know, he's on the wrong side of history, whatever. But he's some young guy, he had parents, he probably had siblings and he had a future, you know, and the decisions of some crazy guys up the top drive these these guys to be killed. It's 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 not a it's not an easy thing to to see that to look someone you know well not in their eyes but on the, on the ground you're like it you, you'll you'll start having some more I guess sympathy is the wrong word but you an understanding of like these are still young guys dying. It's getting driven to this. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have the same thought process. I, really, I think I've had this conversation with Charles off camera. It's the same thing. Hmm. They're all just people. But there are certain ones that are wanting to be there and that are wanting to do it, which yeah. those ones, then you don't really know the difference. So you just got to, if you're on the Ukrainian of side of things, you they're all the same. No, but it's the same. If, if, someone, tried, the same. if someone tried to invade Australia, we it's would do the same. same. And that, that's what I put on is if, you know, China started rolling into the border of Australia, I have nothing against the individual Chinese soldier. I, I don't. Like, you know, whatever. He has parents and he's just a young guy. But would I be behind, would I be behind a machine gun and shoot that guy? Of course I would. Like, like, at the end of the day, that that's what it is. That's all it is. Yeah, that's there. all it is. Yeah. And it's. I remember we had a commander. Um, he used to say it's a bit like the mafia. Like it's nothing personal. It's just business. And and for that, in in many ways, I guess that is personal. If that's your home, you know, I I can't blame the Ukraine. I, I think the whole idea of me saying this, I'm not blaming the Ukrainians for killing these people. I would have done the exact same thing. But at the end of the day, it's still a dead guy on the ground. You know, young, young dead guy. By it's dogs. still, it's still very, you know, it's confronting to see. And I think I would have shown you some photos of, you know, dead Russians shoved down basements and this and that and and places we'd gone. And it's like, and, and it's disgraceful from the lack of, like, treatment from their own ranks. Like, imagine, imagine if we were, you know, we set up like an FOB somewhere, and you know, I got shot, and you just, oh, you just stuff him down the well with the other ten. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. Other, like, that's completely. That doesn't happen. Though. Yeah, I know, but but. Uh, but that's just there's like no respect for human life but no respect for their own human life either like in your own ranks you know that we we went into this place and it was like yeah their own ranks were shoving them down the basement and you're like jesus like this is just brutal what is this it's crazy man that wouldn't happen in American military. Like, a number one thing that you're, like, ingrained is you have to... <laughs> like, they have this... It's kind of goofy when you think about it, but they have, like, a thing called the buddy system hmm. where you can't... You can't, like... That's your, like, your, your little comrade, I guess you say. Yeah, battle buddies. You cannot... Yeah, the battle... It can't, you can't let him, like... If he, go, he goes down, you stay, you bring him. Yeah. I said... We, we got blown up one time. I had to sit on target for, like, a day and a half or some hmm. shit, just, just waiting. And it was... First, the birds had to come in and pick the people up. That was the first time I fondled another man's nuts, by the way. Cut another dude's pants off and grabbed him by the sack. Make sure he was still got his testicles. He wasn't bleeding out. Oh yeah, a straight just you know I've touched another man's balls. Ah, mate, it's the infantry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the infantry. It's just, uh, yeah, we cut his pants off in the middle of Afghanistan. Anyway, the funny thing is he was a doc. He was our medic. Right. And I cut his pants off, and he was the one that was like, "Do I still?" He's like freaking out. Yeah. He was. He really wanted to make sure he had something to use when he got home. Exactly. <laughs> it's like his number one worry. Do I still have my testicles? Yeah, yeah, they're still there. They're still they're still yeah. fondling, yeah, just b- bouncing around down there between your legs, buddy. Uh, well, that is a, that is the number one thing. It, uh, you know what's funny is that the Taliban actually had probably a greater respect for their their men than the Russians do. 100%. Yeah, I, I I can't I can't really speak to that, but now, we would watch them go back difficult. and they'd, they'd pick up their men and they'd take mm-hmm. them off in the donkeys and then we'd hit the donkey and everything else with with a uh, airstrike or something. Yeah, or I guess our airstrike, but more or less a uh, drone strike. We have drones. Drones are nuts. Drones are scary. That's the other thing. My God, the amount of drone for almost like this this whole war is starting to shift over. So now that it's becoming more like trench over the winter time. Yeah. My, the amount of drones, I, the footage that I'm seeing, like le- legitimate. Like, so you have a trench, and then you have like a enclosed area. I guess you would say like I'm going to call it CCP or maybe a a talk. I don't yeah. really know what, what area is inside of this cl- enclosed area, but it's enclosed for a reason. Yeah. Okay. Of this trench, I legitimately saw a a drone get flown into a trench into one of those holes. Yeah. I don't know who these drone operators are, but my God. Have you seen the back of the one that they fly into the, in through the back hatch of a 
uh, they tank or whatever it was. Yeah, I saw yeah. that one too. That was, yeah. I guess that is pretty crazy too when you think. They, they got to turn around and start trying to shoot it out of the sky as yeah. it was coming directly at yeah, them. It comes in the back, back hole. Oh. But that's the thing. Like, you know, we know how expensive military hardware is. And these drones, these cheap drones, like I know to the average consumer, a thousand, two thousand dollar drone that's is nothing. very expensive. Like that I know, you know, military I own a drone, and that's a bloody, that's a massive purchase for me. Yeah. But when you talk in the military, people, I think a lot of people outside the military don't understand how expensive things in the military are. Like Harris one five two radios are like fifteen grand a pop, or yeah. something. Like it's crazy, and like your Carl Gustav, your eighty four mil rounds are like between twenty and thirty thousand dollars. Like each, like like it, it's just the 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 expense is massive. So when you're talking something worth thousand, two thousand dollars, that's throwaway change to the military. And these drones that are worth that are having a game changing effect with no really good way to counter it. Like the anti drone stuff isn't that good. Like Did you see the drone nets? Not bad. Nets. Tell me, yeah. the drone nets. Yeah. It shoots from the other drone onto the other drone. Yeah, but like that still isn't like <laughs> that effective. How does it even uh, work? Like, yeah. Because when you just like the drone just seemed like you just hit right, the right stick real quick and it was zoop, like, I don't yeah. really, I don't know. It's crazy. And there was a, like in the later years in Afghan, there was a big threat of that too over the bases to the point where they just had Remington shotguns. I'm like, well, this is our solution. You know, and, and like these solutions aren't great and these cheap thousand, two thousand dollar drones with a grenade on it have killed hundreds, thousands of guys. It's insane. You know, rigged up to like the the beach fishing hooks to release your to release your bloody cast. Like it's it's insane, man. You know, you've got to remember you've had guys sitting on the front line for years and that starts developing things of oh, what can we do with what we've got? We've got this. Let's put a grenade on it. Let's do that. You know, and and you've seen this all through wars that, you know, people develop things, you know, that's that's like, that's genius. How'd they come up with developing this? You know, because they had a lot of bloody time in their hands. You know, war is not Call of Duty. Like, it's not go, go, go the whole time. Most of war is sitting around on your ass hearing shelling. Like, it, it's like that. And, you know, any of the guys' military, you know, history buffs, when Australia pulled off um, the front line in Turkey, or the trenches, they rigged up their rifles um, with a can, like the cups canteen, like water, and it was dripping in. It would fire around at different intervals. So they thought the Australians were still in the trenches. So well, the Australians were like, we, we all need to leave, but we need some sort of fire to continue. So they cut up, cut their, they put their canteens like connected to the trigger and dripped into them at different rates. So a gun would go off after five minutes and another gun would go off, you know, at 10 minutes and all the way through. And, by the time you know the fire stopped and, and the Turks were like, oh, we'll move forward into positions, we're all gone. <laughs> we're all pissed off on the boats. The, the reason I bring that up is wars like this, you've got a lot of time in your hands, a lot of smart guys, and, and survival. And that's the thing is you, you're not developing something. You know, if you and I go to the shed, it's we're developing something. Oh, what do we call on the weekend? These dudes are doing this to survive. So your whole brain energy is consumed by what can we do to this. And that's why we've seen so many things developed throughout this war that you know, absolutely game-changing. The drones and rigging up grenades on them and all of this is just is just part of that. So speaking of the stuff we talked about earlier, the, the, the we didn't really actually touch on the Bradleys, but they're bringing Bradleys in for to, to help push with the counteroffensive. In certain areas, it'll work really well. But how about it, the, the strikers? So they brought the strikers in because they're worried about the offensive by the, the Russians from more likely Belarus down. I'm going to make the assumption. I think we're probably all on the same page here. I, I agree. Okay, so that, Belarus yeah. coming down. So... We both know that this is probably most likely going to possibly happen. I don't know why it wouldn't happen. The real question we have, there's two questions I have, I guess. How many troops do you think, does, does Ukraine have enough troops inside of the Kiev region to actually sustain that coming down while holding Bakhmut? Number two, I'm going to throw at you. Let's throw something at you here. Okay. How many lines of defense between Belarus and Kharkiv, or not Kharkiv, well, I guess you could say Kharkiv, but that's not, I'm at Kiev, Chernihiv, and Sumy, all the way through that whole area where they came through last time. And then how many areas are going to have stuff like dragon's teeth or giant trenches or like that's what I'm. So they've had seven months to build this whole. That we were talking about this in the kitchen earlier. Yeah. How do you, do you think it will actually be able to make it down to Kiev this time? I don't think there's. I, I personally I don't think there's a chance in hell. I really don't. But I could be a little bit more optimistic than you. Yeah. Well, I'm not optimistic or pessimistic. I'm, I'm just. So looking at the information I've got and trying to sort of see through the fog and be like, what is this really? And we also need to, you can't take like history as the future. So 
just because Ukraine has had massive success has had massive success in that region doesn't exactly mean that they'll have it again because depending on where those positions are Russia may know where those positions are they may have a direct grid grid reference to that location and they've got trial and error they tried it they absolutely spoilt the or attempted offensive into Kiev and may do it again will the armored vehicles make a difference I don't know like realistically in this conflict how much of has armored vehicles really changed the tide of the war not massively like it has but if if amount of armored vehicles had anything to do with the success of the operation russia would have had ukraine in a day if, if you if you go numbers to but numbers, you're talking about armored vehicles that are we're talking soviet era i guess it was soviet yeah. soviet at the beginning now it's significantly shifted to almost western against soviet era that's almost yeah. worth that now now we're talking about something completely different yeah I, I i guess but at the end of the day you're talking 40 vehicles no, and I'm not talking about yeah. those. But what I'm talking about, all the lines of defense is leading all the way down. Yeah, oh, that's what I was going to go into. Okay. So yeah, the lines of defense... Yeah, 40, 40 vehicles I, I, won't change anything. Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think if, if we're looking at these to stop that offensive, that's the wrong mindset of thinking of it. But I can't say how many soldiers there. I have no idea. Um, and as far as how many lines of defense, again, no idea. But it, but that'd be dug in. Like, that'd be unbelievably dug in because... There's always been this threat of coming across Belarus into the capital and and having another front from there. Will Ukraine have the numbers? I don't know, but with what I'm seeing in Bakhmut Solidar, with you know Russia grinding away some ground, and you know Ukraine has taken huge casualties there as well. You know you you're talking ten to twenty thousand Russians. You're, you're talking. Maybe not equivalent numbers, but similar numbers of Ukrainians. You, you will be. You know they've lost a lot of guys too. And how many guys do you actually have to free up on that if another front line opens? I don't know because you've got to still defend everything else too. And could it be a Russian tactic to try and lengthen the front line to, to disperse some of the Ukrainian soldiers and have a breakthrough somewhere else? Absolutely, it could be. You know, the Russians have numbers. That's one thing the Russians have. They have numbers, and they have numbers of equipment and number of men and and the willingness to do that. And and that's something that I think we forget about with a lot, a lot of the Ukrainian success we see is Russia still have 10,000 tanks somewhere sitting in storage. The quality of these tanks, the upkeep, yeah, it's probably all shocking. I, I can agree with that. But in the day, they still have that equipment. And can you get you know, these busted T60 and use it as a bastardized, you know, artillery piece. Yeah, can you use it as cannon fodder? Yeah. Will a T60 take a lot of rounds before it goes down? Yeah. If you're talking small arms, like you know, you still have to hit it with some sort of AT weapon. Um, and that's something that Russia has in its advantage. It has that. It just has numbers and willingness to throw this at it. And if they're willing to mobilize another half million men and lengthen the front line and sit these guys somewhere, you, in ways, can overwhelm defences. And that's the, what we will see, or what have seen with a lot of the um, air defence, is Russia can just use cheap, crappy products to overwhelm air defence. A Patriot system would shoot down a drone any day of the week, but a Patriot rocket's like $3 million against a $20,000 crappy drone. Like, And this, this is the problem with the Russian tactic is do we have the bullets on the machine gun to hit all these mobilized guys? Like, and then that's the sort of numbers you, you're throwing at and will they march guys on? We would think, Oh, we'd never do that because we've got this Western idea of men's lives. Will they mobilize this and march them down the road? Yeah. They don't care. Look at how the fort in Grozny and Afghan and whatever. And typically they stuff their first, like if you look at the Rus- Russian history, Typically, their first attack, they always stuff up and then re- sort of regroup and try and do it again. I'm not positive or negative on any of it. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but we haven't seen the last of the Russians. And I think at the moment, there's some some wanting back of ego too. Ego, that's one thing I talk about like significantly on this channel. The, the ego of Russian uh, Russians in general is like... People think Americans, which they are, some arrogant or whatever. 
Yeah. My <laughs> God, their egos could fill this room plus the next house over the next. Like it is insane the amount yeah. of egos that they have. They just can't. They can't. They don't understand what a, what how to accept a loss, like by by any means. Now, now, what what if what if they just said what if they staged a bunch of men hmm. as if they're going to take Kiev, and what if overnight? Cause I don't know how fast or no. I would assume at this point. I like to make assumptions. Pretty terrible, but that the Ukrainian military intelligence would be tracking the units that are on the border at all times. Mm. I don't know how quick they can do it. I don't know how quick those updates would come in. But imagine, just play, let's play a war game for a sec. Imagine if they just said, screw Kiev. Not, not, not entirely, but staged, forced the Ukrainians to stage their men here, and then overnight shifted them way farther west, yeah. and then pushed down that way. That's exactly what I'd do if I was Russia. So, well, one, one in that, the Ukrainian intelligence is Western intelligence. Yeah. You know, the, there are P-8 Poseidon aircraft in the air over Poland and the Black Sea 24 hours a day. Just doing this. Sending intel. And if you don't know what a P-8 Poseidon is, very few countries in the world, I think the Brits, Yanks and the Australians, I think the only ones with them might be a few other countries. Really developed as a submarine hunter, but as far as the cameras and sensors and collecting intel, fantastic. And, and they have been used everywhere and all that information goes directly to Kiev, you know. It's <laughs> be truthful about that. That's where that intel's coming from, is from is from the West. But what I would do, and I I can't believe this didn't happen because when I was back in Ukraine in I want to say mid late March in Belarus, there was like on the map there was um, mechanized infantry battalions right west, right above Lviv, and I I don't see that that would if I was Putin, well one I wouldn't be in the war, but if I was commanding his war. What I would try and cut off Lviv and cut that supply line. That's what you do is you push far west and you come down to where, yes, there's defensive stuff, but it's not going to be the same, the amount that's going to be in the east. Do you think he stopped doing that or do you think he attempt it because he's too worried about being too close to Poland's border? I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. but That's my only, the only thought that it'd be too close. It would cause a little bit too much concern. Yeah. But that's what they need to do. You need to cut off that supply of Western stuff into Ukraine. You would have you that that's what I would do. Now I'm no bloody military officer who, you know, I would create some plan of how to do this. But to me, going into the capital, again, like we like we said about Solidar Bakhmut, you don't want to be taking the capital, you want to cut the capital off. You want to surround it and, you know, um, bleed them out. That, that's that's the way I would do it, and and like you said, you would look at right. We'll push west and come back down, and do they have the capability to do that? We on large numbers over time, not really. Like the capability of moving guys around countries is is incredibly hard. I mean, without us, without the without Ukraine knowing and the Western intelligence seeing that, because you're going to be loading tanks on trains. You know that's fairly obvious. You'd think that we would pick up on that and moving a lot of equipment, but. Initially, in the beginnings of this war, we thought that's exactly what was going to happen. I remember being in Lviv, and Lviv has never been surrounded or any ground assault there, you know, missiles and whatever. But being there, and we were, that was our big concern: was are they going to push, you know, north and south from Belarus into Lviv, and again extend that front line, have equipment needing to come from the east, so you're pulling equipment off the front line. And that equipment's going to take a couple of days to get there, you know, loading, unloading tanks, artillery things. That it's, it's slow. It's a slow process. Could that happen? Of course it could happen. Will we see it? I don't know. Okay, then we'll shift all the way back east. If they do lose Solidor and Bakhmusk and Bakhmut itself, is that how, how much of an effect is that really going to have on the war as a whole? I, I think everyone's underplaying the, the importance of Bakhmut. In my opinion, is why, and this is on both sides, if Bakhmut wasn't important and wasn't an important tactical location, why is Russia willing to put pump 20,000 guys to their death in there? And on the other hand, why is Ukraine you know, also willing to pump in the thousands of guys into well, it's defending to def- that? It's easier to defend. It, it's yes. one of the easiest areas of the eastern side to defend it for is, them. Yeah, it is. But I think the tactical um, importance of Bakhmut is being downplayed for that access into the north and that stronghold into that region into Kramatorsk. And I think if that if Bakhmut falls, we may see a significant shift on the front line to the north areas 
I don't know if we'll see that, but once they're in there, at least the Ukrainian positions are all in deflate positions of the artillery, which is very important for the defence of that, and that's why we've had so much success. But as as Russia will push through, if they do, we will start to see uh, that ta- those tactical locations being moved. That, uh, that artillery pieces may have to go to less optimal locations and things like that. So that could have a big shift on the front line. And we don't know how many weapons and equipment and men from the Ukraine from Ukraine were used up in the defensive back mood either. We we have we don't know those numbers. It's a lot. Like we we know it's a lot. Um, you know, the, all the Russian stuff will say it's significantly more than theirs, and, and that's you know that's not going to be true. You know, in defense compared to on the offense, you know, you're fighting three to one, five to one odds. You know, yeah. you're doing that sort of thing. But well, even if it's a third, you're talking seven thousand guys. If it's a, if it's a third, it could be more, could be less. We don't know, but it's a lot. And how many more guys do they have, and equipment have to defend in other places? I I don't know. You know, Russia's tactic to thin out the front line. It it could that that's what seems obvious to do is increase the front line for Russia because they've just got mobilized guys. Just increase it and thin out. Um, but Bakhmut is not, not not that many mobilized in comparison to in comparison to what's a place just outside of Kupiansk. Um, let me pull this up. I can't believe I, it's kind of weird. I have literally a legit brain fart. I'm talking about Civitov. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is what we're looking at here. This is what I'm talking about. So, this is Civitov right there, and I'm, I'm sure we're, I'm saying it incorrectly, but that's we're just gonna roll mm-hmm. with it. So, this, this is the area right now where most of those mobilized men are sitting. Yeah, like a, an absolute well, you can it can go all the way up and down this line, but this is this is an important area right here more than most think, criminal. Mm-hmm. And this is where the Russians are currently trying to, I think, establish the ground and, and yeah. retake this right here. Cut that off. Cut that off completely. Because look at these these main routes that flow into here, like this. Yeah. All that whole main route that goes up and down. But that's that's where I think personally most of those. You know what? Now that we got this up, let's look at Bakhmut area as well. So, so all these these two areas right here. This is so here's that salt mine. Yep. So this is all high ground essentially. Mm-hmm. And these are those two two little knobs I was talking about. They did try to push through last night. Those Russians did try to push through the assault. Mine didn't pass that pan out too well. But all the way through here, dude, this right here is legitimately all hilltops. Yeah. All through this whole area right through here. I think I think you've actually been down through this area, haven't yeah, you? I've all the way through a here. Times. Yeah. yeah. So I know this is all hilltops. This is that main route you're, you're talking about. Right yep. here. That main route. I know, I get it. But this one is pretty much almost unusable. To certainly, yeah. well, no, not this one. Excuse me, this one right here that runs up this side is, is unusable. The one that flows all the way up into the Liz Chance region to Seversk, and the other one that it goes out to um, Lyman area, all the way back mm. out that way. I don't know. This is this is as you could tell. Look at those chunks that the Russians have taken over the months, though. Each one yeah. of these are each like update. These are different chunks that they've taken. Yeah. But look how much smaller these chunks have gotten over the last few months. Oh, look! How, look how big they were. Yeah. Two months ago, and now look how tiny they've gotten all the way through here. It, yeah. This this right here, I stopped actually updating my map with, like I would actually go back like every few months and I would just make it. This one tells a story even better because you can legitimately see the smaller. Yeah. As you go through yeah. all these smaller ones, this is how much how how small it's gotten. I establish smaller and smaller parts into more defensible positions. Oh my uh, god, for the Ukrainians, and you know you but you but you may see large bits come back as well, depending if they if they let's say the Russians do take back one. Uh, you you may then see a, a large one of those blobs a leap to then Chasavyar as well, it, it because if if they get past that and they're in, if they are able to take the hilltops, but everything everything in this is at what cost to both sides. That's that's what I, I have everything to, everything what I is ask. at what cost. Why everything? What do you mean? What's the significance in Bakhmut as a whole? Is it is it political at this point? I, because I think, it, does I think it hold off a certain? I think part there's of the a region? lot of ego from. Wagner as well, um, because well, you know, of of course. But the supply lines. Well, what the what the more the Russians saying is it'll cut off supply lines and threaten Kramatorsk, which, in my opinion, it doesn't threaten Kramatorsk at all. What you're going to be five kilometers closer when artillery pieces. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. That doesn't make any sense. Like if you've got an artillery piece going 30, 40 kilometers, five is not five going to change, doing, it. change anything. Yeah, um, you know what else isn't working inside this area. Is high mowers. Mm-hmm. 
That's one thing. I don't know if it has to do with the, the terrain or if they're just worried about losing him. That is one yeah. thing that is not working and has not been even used inside of this area. Yeah. It has been used south of here. And in, in one of the – it's either Marinka or Advika. I can't remember entirely which one it was where they hit that. Uh, I don't know if you know about this. They hit, they took out like 60-something Russians in one strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was that was crazy, but that was that was way south here. We're talking like yeah, it's a fair way, six, south, significantly yeah. south there. Yeah. Well, the threat of losing the Hamas that that's probably more of what it is because I've been in that ground and and when I say hilltops, these these aren't mountains; these are rolling. Yeah, the rolling they're rolling. They're not very big, no. um, but that's big enough to create significant issues uh, for a of course offensive push. More what I'm saying is there's no way, and I don't know the capability of High Mars at all in Australia. We've only just signed a contract to bring High Mars into Australia. You know so, High Mars are from the 90s, right? Yeah, but we have no, we don't have them. But the High Mars system in rolling hills like that surely could still work. Oh, like, God, yeah. You know, you're still going to absolutely have effect. More why we haven't seen them used there is probably the threat of them being hit. Yeah. You know, you, uh, Ukraine doesn't have many systems of High Mars. I'm not sure what we're up to. But when I was there, it was 12 that we were tracking. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you'll, it is. You'll only see them, you'll rarely see them. You'll be driving down a road, and oh, that's a high Mars. And they're in a full convoy, and, you know, they're very protected. I can't remember how many trucks is like 11 or 12 or 8 or 9. There's like a certain amount of, because each piece, mm. one piece can go down. I don't know if you know that, but like, they don't need, it doesn't need all the pieces to work. Yeah. Like one can go down, and the other one picks up the slack of the other one. Oh, yeah, of course. But it's... It, they, it's one of the most tactical pieces in all of Ukraine. And yeah. being how hot that fighting is there, it may just be, well, we would rather use traditional artillery and something we may be more willing to use, to lose. But I'm, I'm also unsure. The tactical location of Bakhmut, I think now is a is a win. Like that if, if Russia can get it, they need that sort of win. They need that W um, to, to maintain support from their own soldiers, from other people. Who, who who support that front? Even if they took Bakhmut, though, hmm. you know what the problem is going to be after that. Chassis, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How are they going to get out of there? Because it's, it's hmm. like I, I get it. I have also said the same thing. They they may take it. There's a very high chance that over the next weeks, the months, or however long it takes, they will take it. They hmm. probably. I mean, if you keep no, throwing, take it. you keep throwing enough men, yeah, at it. I mean, there's only so many beans and bullets sitting inside of Bakhmut before exactly. it just like. But at what cost? And then what happens past that? Because remember how difficult this is going to make, because I don't know if some of you guys are old enough to remember this. Remember Lyman? Mm-hmm. How long did it take him to take Lyman? Mm-hmm. And then what happened in that area? Two yeah. months later. Yeah, push it. The area. entire mm-hmm. thing collapsed. And it didn't just collapse like in a week. It collapsed in hours. Overnight, yeah. It just collapsed like this. And it just pay, it just folded all the way down, all the way to where they're at right now. Yeah. And then they stopped. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen in that area again because Liz Chansk, Liz Chansk, and uh, what's the north, the one just north out uh, out of there as well, Liz Chansk, and then coming out of there up onto the hill. Yeah, what's the, do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? The the other that other town, I guess we'll call because it it's not a city. I thought they would have held that one quite a bit longer than what yeah. they did, and that thing, the Ukrainians kind of folded that. But I guess they must have seen something, and that was laying out more of their terrain to their like their advantage mm. because. Guess what? The Russians were literally stopped in their tracks once they got past that. So yeah. that's the only thing that sucks about like sitting here inside of my little room looking at these maps. I got to go back and I got to look at like terrains and, 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 and trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And right now I have said it millions of times. I'm not really the only thing that that, that backbone is going to be win is for egos because yeah. they could they can go. I you know what I don't understand. What I know this is going to this is going a little bit off track. Why hasn't they put? Why hasn't anybody pushed in the south? Why haven't they gone north of Mariupol? Like that whole area, the whole line on the south from from Zaporizhia all the way to north of Mariupol. I don't care which which town you want to go up through. That whole area, I am so confused. Why like it had to be an ego thing because they shifted everybody from that Lyman area all the way around, Lizachansk, all the way back around, up through Popozna, and then down through to take Bakhmut. Why didn't they just take like if you would have went south and dispersed those men north? Yeah, but you still got to. Like, Russia have been, you know, hinting at ceasefires. Have been hinting at peace agreements, things like this. You, they, yeah, they may be able to push in the south, but they may be just saying, well, we want to take these specific tactical locations and push for another peace agreement. So they may go, we want to take. But that's that never going to happen. Well, you, you and I may know this, but there is not going to be a single peace agreement yeah. that's ever going to come out of this thing. The well, only thing that Zelensky, is, is, I know, I know you may not be a big fan of Zelensky, which you've said, which is fine. I don't know. I haven't done my research into the guy enough to be like he's a turd. Hmm. He runs a country. You you can't change it. Oh, he's yeah. he's in the spot. 
He he, he was he, for, for for God's sake. He said it yesterday. The war will not be over until we have Crimea back. Yeah, and I know that Crimea hasn't been theirs for eight years now. What are we? Almost nine almost years. Nine, yeah. no, almost nine years. Hmm. And they're not going to end this thing. Like that's what I'm like. There's no peace treaty whatsoever. Which I want to cover on another episode. Even the, the 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 offensive that has to happen down in that area to even take it back. That's an entire thing by itself. Yeah, of course. Just an entire conversation in itself, which we are going to have this week. Because he's going to be here for like seven days, so everybody knows. That is an entire operation in itself, because it could happen. Well, at some point, there is a peace agreement, because no war has no, ever it has ended. No, it has to be. Every war has to end diplomatically. Everything. So but, depending on where, where that border is, when the peace agreement is signed, now it could be Ukraine's pre-2014 border, it could be whatever. But at some point, a peace agreement has to be signed, and both countries want it in their favour. Ukraine's very clear on where, where they're willing to sign a peace agreement. They're very clear on that. As they should be clear on that. Like, we want our border from pre Where it was. <laughs> give Fair it back enough. I, it have, I have, I have That's what it no, was. no climb with that. Fair enough. At, at, but in the end of the day, a peace agreement you know, takes two to tango. It, you, we don't know where this is going to end up. And we, we have no idea of the forces pushing on where a peace agreement is signed. Uh, and, and it will end diplomatically at some point. Unless one country is willing to go and kill every single other enemy combatant unless we're going to roll through St. Petersburg and Moscow or unless you, you th- go through to Lviv it has to end diplomatically somewhere and where that border ends I don't know but both sides want it the best for them and in these areas you know in the in the south like you talk about they may not want to push past uh, the Dnipro River and, and places like this because well maybe this will give us some more bargaining chips on the table now you and I may know that the chips aren't even on the table but Russia may may still think that that's an available option because right now the the momentum is one hundred percent on the Ukrainian side. Like, there's no way that Russia could go to a, a bargaining table right now and say, you know what, we'll back up, we'll keep what we have. There's absolutely there's no way that would even happen. Oh, they can. The Russia Russia has well, Ru- Russia is the one who can make that happen. That's the thing. Is if Russia come to the table and say we will give back this, they can end the war tomorrow. The only one who can end the war tomorrow is Russia by saying we'll pull out. Yeah. Well, what I meant is they don't have, there's nothing right now that like maybe back in March. Yeah. That would have been a little bit easier for them because yep, they were, absolutely. they were rolling through areas. Yeah. Now Ukraine's like, ah, no, we're getting all this new equipment in. Politically, and diplomatically, the momentum is with Ukraine. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The whole world, the whole world, for instance,